This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to the Spurs Chat Podcast. I'm joined again by another very special guest, Trevor Sinclair. Of course, a former Premier League star and England international. Made a total of 559 league appearances in his career, scoring 74 goals, 38 appearances in the FA Cup, two goals, 37 appearances in the League Cup, four goals, 26 appearances in European competition, three goals. That is a total of 660 appearances, 83 goals. Played for... QPR, West Ham and Manchester City in the Premier League, making 368 Premier League appearances, scoring 52 goals, providing 45 assists. Uh, Winner of the October 1995 Premier League Player of the Month Award. Winner of the 1997 Match of the Day uh, Goal of the Season Award. Also played for Blackpool and Cardiff. Won 12 England caps and now a pundit on TV and radio. Football focus, final score and of course, talk sport radio. Trevor Sinclair, welcome to the channel. How are you? Wow, what what, what a welcome that is. Thank you very much, uh, Chris. Yeah, no, I'm really good, thank you. Great to be here. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really well, thank you. I always love to get the the opinions of uh, opposing fans and, of course, uh, players like you that have played for other clubs, you know, not just about Tottenham. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we talk about Spurs, I want to talk a little bit about your career because you started at Blackpool. Um, then you signed for QPR for the 93-94 season. And believe it or not, Trevor, I talk about you a lot and have done since this date because the first time my dad took me to a game, White Hart Lane, it was the 7th of May, 1994. Do you remember that date? Did I score two? Do you remember what happened? Did, it, did we win 2-1? Yeah, 
You did. And you yeah, scored I remember two that goals. Game. Yeah, I remember that game. Um, <laughs> if I told you what went on the day before, you wouldn't believe it. Um, but, I mean, that literally, that was um, kind of the start of my um, run of games against Spurs, where I seemed to really enjoy it and do well against them. And even though Jerry Francis, who went on to become... Um, Spurs manager tried to bring me back to the club. It wasn't wasn't a surprise to me because you see it all the time. Players that play well consistently against the same club, they tend to be interested in in, in signing them for that club, and and that's exactly what happened with uh, when, when Jerry went from QPR to Tottenham. Uh, I nearly had the opportunity to go there, but QPR weren't interested in selling me. You were always linked to Spurs, though, weren't you? Yeah, throughout my career, yeah, there was a lot of... Um, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, one of the games I played against uh, Spurs was at Upton Park and I played against um, Ginola. And it was probably one of the... I speak about it quite often, one of the most difficult games um, that I'd ever played. And I scored two and we won 2-1, but walked off the pitch feeling like a bit of an imposter because David Ginola had run me and Ian Pearce, who won the league with Blackburn Rovers a few years earlier, he'd run us ragged and literally we both felt like inadequate next to him because he was strong, he was fast, he had great balance, he was a crowd pleaser, he's a good looking bugger and uh, we got nowhere near him and it was only because of Shaka or maybe David James in goal and um, a bit of luck why we ended up winning that game and I just I was in, I was in awe of David Ginola after that because I played against him in, previously to that against Newcastle. I always rated him as a player, but his performance that day was it was spectacular and he just seemed like he was it was an unfair advantage. He had everything. Whenever you played against Spurs, were the Spurs fans kind to you? Um, I wouldn't say they were they were off with me or anything. I I, I kind of I kind of phased that out by that time in my career where you just get your head down and it's not about getting involved in the fans or getting involved with. Um, any kind of um, welcome because you have to try and stay on an even keel and that's what I always try to do as a player obviously when you score a goal you go mad for a few seconds um, but no I didn't get any uh, untoward treatment from the from the Spurs fans but there was a massive rivalry uh, which I realised soon after I arrived at Upton Park with uh, between West Ham and, and Tottenham Hotspur. True. what do you make of uh, our old stadium White Hart Lane and have you been to our new one? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed your old stadium because I scored there a couple of times. I was involved in the Manchester City game where we were 3-0 down uh, in the Cup and we got that back and won the game 4-3. So I've had some good memories at White Hart Lane. The new stadium is the best stadium in the world, for, for, in my opinion. Um, I was literally blown away when I got there uh, for the first time. Um, I'm just trying to think again. I think it was Manchester City. And I think you beat us as well. And um, I was just blown away. The facilities, the, the, you know, it's, everything's top, top draw um it's a beautiful stadium uh, as well as it being a really noisy one and uh yeah i i think it's the best stadium in the world it is absolutely magnificent and it deserves a team and i've said it many times it deserves a team uh, to go out there and showcase you know to showcase uh, real talent and uh, towards the back end of last season i think you've shown that well, we're getting there. We'll, we'll certainly come on to talk about that shortly. Um, now, Trevor, you played for QPR for five seasons. You played um, alongside the likes of uh, Clive Wilson and Les Ferdinand. Have you got any interesting stories on them? Because, of course, they ended up joining Spurs. And, of course, as you mentioned, Jerry Francis also then went on to, to manage Tottenham as well. Yeah, and um, not only Clive, but Bradley Allen was at the club when I was there as well. He was a young up-and-coming centre-forward. Very, very technical. I mean, I think today's game would have suited him well because he's, um, he's link-up player as a, as a striker, even though he was quite slight, um, was excellent. Technically, he was someone that I always looked up to, even though he's a similar age to me. 
Um, but if you're doing a demo in training and uh, you want someone to pull it off properly and do it at the right intensity with the right quality, a little bit like Mace, how I look at Mason Mount, you'd use uh, Bradley for, for them. But um, Les was unbelievable. So Les, you know, even I as a teammate used to call him Sir Les. Um, yeah. Wonderful man. Um, great principles. You know, a really top, top pro to look up to for me as a young player coming in from the old fourth division, joining the Premier League team and looking at the standard that, players set for themselves and and les was the, the he, he, he was he was the top top gold standard and um got a good relationship with les now obviously still at qpr working as director of football um speak to him probably you know a couple of times a month and um yeah he's he's uh he was someone that i always looked up to phenomenal talent and uh he showcased some of that talent when he when he arrived at spurs Trevor, how would you describe your um, your time at West Ham? Six seasons you spent there. Um, to me now... Long? I thought it was five. Well, <laughs> it might wait, be six. Wait, wait. You know more about my career than me, Chris, by the way. <laughs> I, I've, just, I've just made a note there. 660 games, 83 <laughs> goals. That's you seem stats. very well. You saw. You seem very impressed with those stats. Don't don't Whoa. don't talk sport. Introduce you like that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Especially when I'm on with Simon Jordan. Um, but no, it's. Uh, I've never. I don't listen. I've got kids who play football. Um, one's twenty. One's nineteen. One's seventeen. And um, probably in this room, which is my study, is the only place you'll find any kind of memorabilia about my career because I want it to be about them. You know, and I, I want to take any kind of pressure. If, you know their fathers had um, on them regarding my career. It's their career. It's their life. Their pathway. And I want to keep all my stuff, you know, in the, in the in history, which is what it is. I've got one picture in the house, um, and it's uh, probably the only time I've ever been properly starstruck. And it's when we went over to South Africa in 2003, and uh, I was I was fortunate enough to meet the, the great late um, Nelson Mandela and. Usually when we go to meet people, whether it's individually or within a team, and they'll go, oh, do you want to meet him? And I'll be like, yeah, it'd be nice to meet him, say hello. Um, but as soon as the PA, when we was in South Africa, um, said, uh, do you want to go down and, and meet Nelson Mandela and have a photo with him? I literally climbed over the players in the England squad to get down there first, shook his hand. Yeah. I was very humbled in his presence, sat next to him for a photo and like just instinctively put my hand on his because it was one of them where you're just in awe of him, you know, what he's been through uh, and, the, and the battle he had um, in his life. And uh, he was so lighthearted and fun. And again, it reflects the way he came out um, after being um, in prison for so long, 27 years. He came out and said, listen, let's wipe the slate clean and uh, let's start again as, as, a, as you know, as a, um, as a, a, whole, a full people of South Africa together. Let's hold no... Um, hold no resentment against each other and let's try and work forward as a, as a, as a, as a people. And that's how we came away across to me. It was just very lighthearted and yeah, it was, it was uh, probably the, you know, the most impressed I've been of meeting anybody in my life. So when you played for West Ham and it was a game against Tottenham, what was the build up to that game like? Because for me, it seems like the, the biggest game of West Ham season now is against Spurs. And you yeah. probably you probably think that as a Spurs fan, I'm going to say that anyway. But when the fixtures come out, for us Spurs fans, it's all about Arsenal and Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but, but for West Ham, it's always that game against Tottenham that is their biggest. And, and of course, a lot of fans call it the cup final. Did you feel like that as a player? Yes. I mean, I've, for, for, apart from Millwall, which is quite close to West Ham as well, even closer now they've moved stadiums. Um Tottenham was always looked upon as as the main rival, as a big derby um, for for West Ham fans and for me because we you know we reflect what the fans want and um, 
you know, they love playing against Arsenal, love playing against Chelsea, uh, big rivalries there. I think the Chelsea one was was kind of got um, a little bit of heat because when Frank went to Chelsea, um, there was a few things said in the media and that brought up a lot of resentment between the two football clubs. Uh, mm. But in general, it was always Tottenham. Tottenham was our main main game. And um, I think that is always going to be the case until Millwall, you know, I'm not sure I'm saying they've got a chance, but they're in the championship. And if they did get promoted to the Premier League and and that, that would then become the main derby for for West Ham but as from, from my time at the football club it was certainly Tottenham and it was a game that we always look forward to and the fans made sure they remind us the weeks before and and hopefully celebrated with us afterwards. How would you describe your um, Premier League career and, and, and what changes or what major changes do you think uh, have been uh, you know made in, in the in the last years since your retirement? Um, I think my, my career was the t- trajectory for my career um, I went started in the old fourth division, and my first lit season I played as a 16-year-old straight out of school. And uh, baptism of fire, you know, got off the ball, got done, and you know, got a bit of abuse, and had to deal with the the abuse from the crowd. And it, it was a good apprenticeship, and it, it set me in a good with good foundations going into the, my future uh, career, which ended up being in the Premier League um, primarily. Um, and then I got to. QPR after having a really good season and getting promoted from the old fourth division with Blackpool, getting double figure goals, playing up front with Dave Bamber, got that move. And then I was, I was, it was the first time I actually felt like I really had to work hard to uh, establish myself amongst a group of players. You mentioned a couple of them there. There was also Ray Wilkins, uh, yeah. David Barsley, who was, a, who was a top pro, Andrew Wimpy. There was, a, there was a lot of Clive Wilson, there a lot of good footballers in that, in that team, fit boys, hungry boys, uh, very, humble lads. So it was a good group to be welcomed into and learn my learn my craft at a different level. And then it, one of the games, I, I remember it uh, vividly, we played against Arsenal um, at QPR. And I remember playing against Nigel Winterburn and Lee Dixon and Tony Adams and uh, the rest of that infamous back four or five. And I found it very easy. And I was running Lee Dixon on one side, then I was running... Um, uh, Winterburn on the other and I come off the pitch and thought I was like 2021 20, I thought if that's the top standard this is going to be fun and yeah. um, I kind of got a lot of confidence from that game and scored some goals um, and then it was all again I got in the England squad when I was, you know, when I was like 22, 23 in 95 um, with Gazza and, and players of that elk Paul Merson and you know real top top players iconic players um, and and then I got an injury, and that's where that trajectory stopped. Um, and I had to regroup. It took me a long time to get over that injury, uh, posterior cruciate ligament. Plus, um, I had cartilage damage. It was bone on bone, a little bit similar to what Jamie Redknapp had when he was at Tottenham. And uh, it was one of them where I had to take stock. I had to start really becoming um, a scholar of the game, understand positional play, understand team play. Because before that, I'd been a lot off the cuff, you know, give Trevor the ball in a good area, one against one, he'll beat his man, he'll put a cross in or he'll get a shot on target. Um, whereas now I didn't have that explosive pace. I didn't have that agility to go either way. Um, and like talking back before my injury, at times I'd be running next to a player and it'd almost be like slow motion being able to put it through their legs and nutmeg them and get wrong side of them. And when I came back, it was a different story. And that's where it's probably my biggest achievement, I would say, one is obviously becoming a professional footballer, 
but two was working my way and it took about five years to get myself back into the England squad. And I was 29 by this age, 28, 29. But that was probably my biggest achievement, getting myself back up to that standard. I didn't have the tools that I had when I was a kid, but I had a different set of tools where I was disciplined, I was fitter than most. Um, I knew where to be. I, I anticipated second balls. Uh, my end product was good. I became a better finisher. And um, yeah, I would say that was probably the biggest achievement for me, getting back in the England squad. And then injuries again, I'd had three, or, well, I had five left knee uh, surgeries throughout my career. It got the better of me. But even, you know, when I retired at 35, last game was in the FA Cup final for Cardiff. Even after that, probably for about five years, I thought, I felt like I had the, the hunger and the fitness to be able to be a professional footballer. But unfortunately, my body let me down and my left knee wouldn't take it. So I played a lot of futsal over in Dubai. I moved to Dubai for seven, six, seven years. Played a lot of futsal over there with, um, with with some guys over there. Started coaching, started doing media, and it ended up being a good apprenticeship for me to come back to England when I did in 2014. You said uh, you'd done a little bit of coaching there. Um, why didn't you continue that on, and, and why haven't you gone into management? Opportunities, lack of opportunities. Obviously, it's it's, well, it's not it's not um, you know it's not an easy pathway for anyone, um, but I think it's more difficult for black players. And then I had, a, I had a situation which everyone, well, most people will have read about where uh, um, I probably let myself down, got done for drink driving. It was involved in an altercation with the police. And I think once that happens, um, for me, I, I decided, well, no, I didn't decide. I just kind of accepted that probably the ship might have sailed for me regarding coaching in the professional game at an elite level. Um, did a bit of non-league, which I enjoyed. Got a good response from the players. Got a good relationship with a lot of the players that I coached for 18 months back then, um, who've gone on to do good things. Uh, and then I thought, you know what? I do really enjoy coaching. So I'm going to set my own academy up. So I had a partner who lives locally. Uh, we set an academy up in Liverham. Um, we've had a couple of lads do really well, play for England uh, at youth levels and then go on. Uh, one of the lads is, is playing in League One now. So I feel like I've got a good relationship with players. I've got empathy. Um, I speak well. I explain things well of what we at times ask for, but over time demand for, for, for their mm. progression and to help them as a young player learning the game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something, I've not closed the door on it, but the opportunity, you know, I, I'm not sure it's going to come my way because of what had what has happened in my, um, in my past. But listen, it was five years ago. I've enjoyed working with TalkSport over the last three years. Um, feel very valued there. Feel like I, I get a good range of um, job opportunities regarding co-commentaries in the studio with Simon in the studio for a bit more fun with Alan and Ray uh, Parler. So, yeah, I've got a good balance in my life where I'm getting coaching in. I've got a good family life and I'm also doing work within elite football, even though it's just broadcasting. Someone put a question up earlier um, saying, have you ever won an argument against Simon Jordan? <laughs> hey, listen, I'll put my hand up. It's very difficult. And if he, anyone, <laughs> you, heard, you heard him yesterday when he was talking to the prospective uh, Birmingham owner. It's very difficult. He, listen, he's an intellectual man. He's a, he's, very, he's a scholar of the game, especially the business part of football. Um, but I stick to my guns when it's regarding players and, and tactics and my... Um, opinion of players because I feel you know my first, one of my first coaches when I was a kid was um, Bobby Robson and Dave Sexton and Ray Wilkins I've had an unbelievable education from some great mm. people in the game I worked with Terry Venables when I got in the England squad when I was 23 20, 22 23 you know I've worked with Kevin Keegan at Manchester City and with England I've worked with Sven I've, I've had some fantastic coaches around me yeah. and also players so I feel like I'm in a good place to um, stick up for myself when it comes to 
stuff that goes on on the pitch and, and, and what's going through possibly maybe a difference now because I think it's changed. But especially when you, you talk about the mentality in the build-up to games, I've got, a, you know, I've got a good, I think I've got a good um, opinion of that and of um, that some of that won't change. You know, when you're going out to, on the pitch, it's great saying, yeah, let's do this, let's do that in possession, let's work out. When you go out there, it's got to be mentality, it's war. Because if you've not got that mentality, you're never going to compete at, at the elite level of football. So you've got to be ready to sacrifice yourself for the team. You've got to be ready to win 50-50 battles. And, and these things will never change. And it doesn't matter what level of football you play at. If you can um, if you can put your personality on the pitch and, 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 and put doubt in your opposition, the person that you're playing against uh, in his head, put a little bit of doubt, thinking, bloody hell, this is going to be a tough game because... You know, he's at it, he's, he's hungry, he's fit, he's sharp. He, you know, that's how you start games and that's how you get the... You earn the right to get on the ball and then start expressing what you've got when it comes to ability-wise. Trevor, earlier you mentioned um, about you playing for Cardiff and I think I'm right in saying that the only goal you scored for Cardiff was against your first club, Blackpool, where you didn't celebrate. And, no. and also, um, you become Blackpool's youngest ever player at 16. So that must have been quite a difficult moment for you. It's difficult when you when you think about when you think about it. Um, but all my thoughts were to to get three points for Cardiff City. Then yeah. I, I worked with Dave Jones. I, I thought he was a great great manager. Um, obviously, he had his issues as well outside the game, and I think that that's probably what stopped his um, development and pathway in football management. But um, as a man to man manager, he was superb. He was laid back. Um, I think if he would have gone to higher levels, he probably might have needed, you know, different coaches around him as well as the people that he had with him. Um, but no, I had a good time at Cardiff City and um, it was a, it's a fantastic city, really good fan base, um, had a good report, as I do pretty much with all the clubs I play for because I'm one of them heart on sleeves. If, you know, if, I, if I'm playing for that football club, every other football club, it, you know, it's in the background now. This is the club I'm concentrating on. These are the fans that I want to try and build up that relationship with, and these are the this, these these are the players that I want to try and win football matches with. So it was difficult. I didn't celebrate, um, but yeah, I, I mean, listen, I've got a lot to thank Blackpool for for giving me the opportunity to play at such a young age uh, and giving me that platform to go on and have the career that I did. Um, but no love lost when you're playing football as a as a professional. You need to play for the team that you're you know that you're being hired by and uh, you're being paid by and. Uh, you know, the fans expect that from you. Trevor, talk us through this very special goal. Uh, winner of the 1997 Match of the Day Goal of the Season Award. The goal against Barnsley in the FA Cup bicycle kick. Talk us through that moment. Um, it, I mean, you can. I'm not sure if you've asked any of the players that have played with me, but I used to do it in training all the time. It was something It was, It was. was something that I did. And I had a coach. I was at Oldham when I was a kid. Um, School of Excellence it used to be before the academies started. And um, Willie Donachie used to coach me. And, um, you know, it was on the old AstroTurf um, at Boundary Park. And we used to train there three, three times a week in the evenings. And I used to try it there. And you're young, you're very light. You can get away with landing on that surface. And then I'm, I'm moving forward, you know, 25 years. I'm at a game watching my own kids play for Blackpool Academy. And lo and behold, um, Willie Donachie is the the coach of the opposition team. And he came up to me and he said, how are you doing? And, you know, pleasantries and, and whatnot. And he went, you know that goal you scored? He said, it wasn't a question of if you'd score a goal like that, it'd be when, because you tried it in training. And it was something that just came to me naturally as a kid playing in the schoolboy teams and the town teams when you're young. And I remember, you know, 
just often trying it. And I think it's like anything, you, you practice things, practice things. And it, it was one of them where it was off the cuff. It's very um, athletic, um, but the timing, if it comes in from the right-hand side, um, I always feel comfortable if it's in a, in a box area above me, it's something that I could execute and, and, and get a clean contact with. And as I got older, I got better at it. I scored one for Q, uh, scored one for QPR, obviously, but I scored a couple for West Ham. Um, and I attempted it many, many more times. But it was one of them where, you know, the stars aligned. Um, the contact was perfect. And the keeper, I don't know what the keeper was waving at, but it was already in the back <laughs> of the net. <laughs> Trevor, I want to talk about Tottenham. Um, now, there's a lot of very excited Tottenham Hotspur fans right now. There really is. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about the transfer window in a minute. But um, let's talk about last season. Tottenham Hotspur, of course, finished fourth. Um, yeah. I remember at the end of October, I was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We just lost to Manchester United. The fans were singing to Nuno Espirito Santo. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. At that moment, I thought that that is the end of him. You know, a, a manager cannot yeah. come back from that, certainly in the Premier League. Antonio Conte come in early November. We got top four. What did you make of Tottenham last season? season it, was, it, was a, it was a season of two halves, wasn't it? It yeah. was um, pre-Antonio um, coming in and, and, and post. And I think you've seen the reaction from the players. I think he kind of proves that he knows how to deal with players. He understands the chemistry that's needed insides um, and the balance that's needed insides. Uh, I think he's a motivator. I think he's a, he's a boss. You know, when he's in a football club, there's only one boss. I think you can, you can kind of highlight that with all the top clubs as well. They've got a certain, I wouldn't say arrogance, but they've got a certain command about the mm. way and awe about them. And uh, Antonio's done it as a player. He's, he's managed to make that transition to do it as a, as a manager as well. And uh, you just have to look at you, you know, May, you look at the results in May, you drew Liverpool um, and beat everybody else. It was a fantastic finish to the season, I think, highlighted by the 3-0. Um, was it a away win at Arsenal? Um, it was a home. Oh, home win against. Yeah, 3-0, but it could have been more. Um, I just thought it was very impressive, uh, the chemistry and the balance that the side had towards the end of the season. And um, yeah, I think you thoroughly deserve getting that top four space. Obviously, Arsenal were in a very strong position and I probably predicted they to, to, to get that top four place um, but the way they capitulated in certain games uh, it was typical of, of, of Arsenal because I'd seen that too many times I'd been to the game that they played against Nottingham Forest in the in the FA Cup uh, which was the first time that I, I started watching um, a perspective uh, by that you might make in, in Jed Spence um, super impressed with him athlete uh, brave on the ball um, takes responsibility um, very quick and uh, loves getting forward, but can, can can cover the ground. So I think that's that could be a really exciting signing if you get that over the line. I think it's 12, 15 million from Middlesbrough. And that's that's been negotiated uh, by an old agent of mine, actually, um, uh, uh, Phil and John Smith, who are, who are Spurs fans, I must add. Um, so I, actually, there's a couple of other connections that I've got with Spurs because Peter Rabin, who uh, is a, he's the dentist for, for Tottenham Hotspur yeah, players. Yeah, I know Peter. Yeah, so... Peter is a lifesaver. When I was at QPR, I used to live in Kingsbury. And um, one morning I woke up and I was in excruciating pain. I was literally under the kitchen table, didn't know what to do with myself. Mouth was killing, literally my whole head. And I just opened the yellow pages at the time. So I'm showing my age now and, and look for different dentists, <laughs> which are quite close by. And Peter's, anyway, I called Peter. He, he picked up the phone. I told him who I was and he went, are you the footballer? He went, come straight up. Anyway, he ripped me too far. It was finished. Too many sweets when I was a kid. 
And that was the start of a really great relationship that I had with Peter. And uh, he ended up doing my dentistry for probably the 10 years that I was in London. And I, I still speak to him now. Um, and I've used a few of his lines about um, about Spurs and what, how he described Spurs before Antonio came in. And uh, hopefully he'll, he'll see this uh, podcast and be very pleased that I've mentioned his name. He does watch this channel, actually. Oh, and uh, I, see, I see him quite a lot. And, um, yeah, he loves a selfie. He, every time I see him, he's got a selfie of... Uh, Antonio Conte and uh, all of the he loves it. You know, well, his right mum was. I think. Care. I think. I think his mum was a hundred uh, not so long ago, and I remember um, signing the shirt for or seeing a shirt and maybe signing. I'm not sure, but yeah. No, listen, Peter's a great guy, and you know I'll, I'll always be grateful for him um, looking after me when I was in my um, hour of pain <laughs> and getting me through it. Trevor, I want to go back um, to that game against Arsenal um, in May. Um, so at that time, Arsenal needed a win. They would have secured top four. At that time then, did you think that Arsenal were going to get top four and Spurs were going to miss out? Because, the, um, because, because that evening, the difference in quality was absolutely immense. We, we didn't only beat them, we absolutely thrashed them. Yeah, I had my reservations about Arsenal. You know, start, probably starting from the way that they got... I wouldn't say destroyed, but the way they got beat off Nottingham Forest. I've seen weaknesses yeah. within the side. I've seen weaknesses within the mentality. Um, and especially down that right-hand side, you know, they made a substitution early, which, again, I look at the manager and think, you know, you're making a substitution after 20 minutes or something for the for the left-back who had a difficult season. Um, yeah. But you see that in training, in the build-up. So what do you think? You're going to put him in and get away with it? You already know what you're going to get from this player because you've been watching him in training every day for the last six months. So for me, it was a surprise that he made that 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 decision to play him to start with, and then with that decision to change him because it's for a player that's you know it's mortifying to get substituted after twenty minutes. Mm. Never happened to me for, without injury. Um, so, but I can only imagine. You know that must be very difficult to pick yourself up from that scenario. So as a manager, you know, are you safeguarding the the the, the future of the player, or or are you putting him in a vulnerable position by playing him in the first time? place so I'd seen weaknesses not just with the team but also with the manager because he is a new manager and you know as long as we all know he's had a bit of time under Pep um I've been coaching 15 years now you know and you, you you're always learning um and I know it's not an elite level but certain fundamentals are the, are the same and you have to be true to yourself as, as a manager and and you have to look you have to make, learn from these mistakes and I thought that was a huge mistake and I didn't expect um I didn't expect it to be his last one um, but looking at this game in, in, in individually, um, and, and prior to that, I, I, I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be closer. I thought it was going to be competitive because a lot of derbies are. Um, but it just looked like boys against men. It looked like um, Antonio, had, you know, got the boys in the right frame of mind. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast where the mentality is: you're going to war. This is, you know, this yeah. is, it's not. It's not. It's not a beautiful game at this stage. It's you trying to stamp your authority on your uh, opposition number. And um, yeah, there was only one team in that and Spurs destroyed Arsenal. And, and, and you know, tactically, I think um, you look at what Antonio set the team out like um, and key players played well for you. And it's as simple as that, you know, and, and, and I don't, I, don't I, th I think the inexperience in a lot of the Arsenal players was, uh, was, was crystal, crystal clear on that day. Well, talking about key players, going back to uh, the January transfer window, Spurs left it right to the very last minute. On the final day, we signed Dijan Kulishevsky and Rodrigo Bentancur. Mm. Um, a number of players left um, on loan, uh, the likes of Tongyon Dombele, Giovanni Lo Celso, who will come on to um, later on. But um, 
What did you think, Trevor, at that time, on the final day of the January transfer window, Spurs brought in these two players who quite a lot of people, I had journalists come on this channel and they even said they're no better than Harry Winks and they are Juventus rejects. What have you made of these two? Well, I think it shows when you bring a manager from a different region, uh, the knowledge that they've got of players uh, and, yeah. and the lack of knowledge that certain journalists who you know speak about the game honestly and try and give their honest opinion, it just shows that they don't understand the game in the same way that Antonio Conte understands the game. I mean, if you look at Kuliseski, what he brought to the team, the goals, the assists, the balance, the chemistry to that side, I think it's undeniable. And the same with Benton Kerr. You know, he's come in there. He's calm in possession. He's technical. Uh, but he can get about physically. He looks like he's ready. But I look at that and I think that's not just happened. The conversations may, be, may have happened two months before, even longer. Yeah. These players are working. They're doing the strengthening conditioning. They're getting themselves in the best condition to give themselves the best chance to hit the ground running at Spurs. And that's exactly what they both did. And uh, Kuliseski is especially... I thought some of his performances were absolutely outstanding. And it makes it interesting because you've got strength in depth now. You've brought in Richarlison, um, who I feel you have to give him credit. He scored 11, well, he scored 10 Premier League goals last season for a really struggling Everton side. Um, he's physical. He's quick. Um, he's an international. He scored four and four for Brazil last season. And, um, you know, I think it was a really big marquee signing. Not, not, probably your big, well, one of your biggest because you've been busy. Obviously, Pau Torres has came in as well. Defensively, I thought you always needed that. I think you was, you know, Dyer's done a, a great job and, you know, I think Tantanga was a little bit erratic at times and as a manager, you want to know what you're going to get from a player. And he was brilliant against City, got away with it, but then the, I think the following week he got sent off and you can't afford that as a, as a manager. You need consistency and I think with Tantanga, he was always you always thought that he could be a liability, a little bit like your other right back who you let go. Um, so managers, you can see what, what Antonio is going for. He's going for players that he knows what he's going to get from them. And um, like I said, towards the back end of the season, especially in May, uh, you, I think you got a glimpse into what what could come for uh, Spurs, especially if the signing settling well and you know drawing with Spurs, uh, beating Arsenal three 0 I'm not, I'm not surprised that the uh, Tottenham fans are very excited. Trevor, only recently you said Richarlison always looks miserable. How does Antonio Conte put a smile on his face? I don't think he will. I think that's his demeanour. You know, I've played with players where, um, you know, they're brilliant on a Friday, massive smiles on the face, and then on a Saturday they go missing. I think he, 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 you have to look at his history, where he's come from. You know, it's, he's, he's had a different upbringing to us. He might be a lot happier because he's playing with better players. Um, I always thought he looked like a number nine um, playing out wide, which I was for the whole of my career, by the way. Um, well, where, where does he fit in? Because um, you, you talk about, um, I, I'm joking there when you said about miserable and, and how Conte can put a smile on his face. But when you've got the likes of Harry Kane and Hummin Son um, and, you know, now DJ and Kuliszewski, you know, how great he was last season. Um, we hadn't signed a striker on a permanent deal since 2017 up to Richarlison, if you want to call him a striker. You know, we know he's very versatile. He can play on the left, play on the right, play through the middle. But where does he fit in? Is it the case of Antonio Conte is just rotating constantly? 100%. I think and it, it, form comes into it. So if Richarlison's playing really well, then, you know, he'll get the A side of the record games. 
If Kulisevsky's playing really well, he'll get the A-side of the record, as, as so to speak. You get an A-side and a B-side. So we get the bigger games. I think Hummin Son, obviously shown his consistency last season, absolutely superb. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane started the season, dif- difficult situation for him uh, after the back of the summer and what had gone on there. And I think that was a bit damaging to him. I think mentally he struggled a little bit through that. But once he got going, you've seen the, the true Harry Kane. Um, but again, just strength in depth. And you have to a little bit play it by ear. He might have his ideas, who he thinks will will be his his best front three, Antonio. Um, but then you have to look at different um, different relationships within that team. So if Jed Spence does come in, then you know you look at Yin and Yang. He's great going forward. He's quick. So maybe I need a technical player on that side. So you may think Kulusevski is the right man to play in there. Um, but all four players, when you talk about football IQ when you talk about end product, when you talk about being able to affect the game in the final third, I think they possess that in, 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 in a great, in a great deal. And um, is, is Mora staying? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, Good question. You've got depth and that's something that I don't think Spurs have had. You've had, literally had to play Harry Kane every game until he gets injured. Now you've got options. You know that you can play with Charleston through the middle. You know, you can play some through the middle. So the onus is not only on Harry Kane and hopefully they'll manage his game times so he doesn't actually get in that red zone and pick, start picking up ankle injuries again. Trevor, do you have any inside knowledge on this Jed Spence deal? Because um, what is, you know, it seems to be dragging on, doesn't it? Yeah, I do have inside information, but I'm not allowed to reveal that. Um, mm. I, got, I got told some bits and bobs um, last Wednesday when I was with Simon and Jim. Um, but it's not my liberty. But I do know that John is looking after him, John Smith. And um, it's a deal that Tottenham are trying to get done. Um, and it's just coming to the right figures. And, and, and then obviously um, getting his you know his personal wage sorted out. But it's, I think the play is keen. Because uh, I know there's been a few clubs interested in him. And rightly so. Um, yeah. The first time I've seen him play against Arsenal... And he marked, I think he marked two players um, out out of the out of the game for the Ars- on the left Arsenal left, shown incredible pace, um, defensive qualities, but then going the other way, shown real quality going forward as well. And uh, literally, sometimes you see a player and you think he's destined for the Premier League. And I said it, you know, on commentary that night when uh, when Nottingham Forest beat Arsenal, I said this boy is he's destined for the Premier League. Whether it's going to be with Nottingham Forest, and I actually said it about the other boy as well who plays in front of him. Um, who, who I thought had a, a, an incredible season as well. And, and for such a young player, um, down that right-hand side, um, Nottingham Forest were really strong. But I think it's going to happen. I do think it's going to happen, Chris. If Jed Spence does come to Spurs, does he um, is, is, is he an improvement on the likes of Matt Doherty and Emerson Royale for you? I think so, personally. Um, Matt Doherty improved under Antonio Conte and started, you know, I think he scored a goal. Both wing-backs scored in the same game. Um, so they started improving. Again, it's that direction from the manager, demanding yeah. certain certain things. We hear people talking about the wingers at, at, at Manchester City. If the ball's coming in from the other side, you have got to get across that far post. If you don't, you're missing, you, you're taking goals away from, or goal scoring opportunities away from yourself. So there's certain fundamentals in football which don't change. And I think when you look at Jed Spence, He's like a steeplechase runner. I think athletically, I think he's he, he'll, 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 he's better than both of them two. I think speed-wise, he's probably better. Um, and then technical-wise, you know, 
I'm looking at both of them and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'd probably prefer Jed Spence because he's got a little bit more creativity, a little bit more aspiration to get forward, a bit more direct at times. Um, so, yeah, I can see him superseding both of them players and, and becoming a first-team player on now, that wing-back role. Yeah, well, the the uh, the wing-backs are extremely important to Antonio Conte and his system, obviously. Um, Ivan Perisic has come in on a free transfer. Um, what do you make of this signing? Do you think he will be uh, playing um, as left wing-back? And what do you think of the futures um, of Ryan Sessegnon and uh, Sergio Regulon? Well, it depends on them. If they want to roll the sleeves up, have a f- fantastic pre-season, make sure they turn up for pre-season fit and get themselves and their names back into Antonio Conte's mind, then yeah. Antonio Conte will probably already know that by now. They've been back a week or two. So it depends on them. But I've always been of the thought pattern, if, if, if you've got competition for places, you can do two things. You can roll over or you can roll the sleeves up and prove that you're better than the player that's coming in. And uh, it's completely down to them. But yeah, Perisic, obviously the IQ. Um, of a player, the experience that he's got, um, the experiences that he's had, international level and, and, and both domestic level, he comes in with uh, he comes in with certain standards that you know you you'll be able to rely on. And um, Antonio's worked with him before, so yeah, that's a no brainer. I think it was a great bit of business, free transfer, um, and yeah, I think he'll be an asset whether he's playing on the wi- wide areas, whether he comes in as a number ten, or whether he slightly adapts the shape for certain games. But again, it just gives him more options. Having these quality players in that come with a certain wealth of um, certain wealth of standards and um, ability level, it just gives you different options to change the shape, to tweak it. And that's a lot of... Obviously, they'll be doing fitness work and strengthening work to get them through the season. But a lot of the work pre-season is working on different shapes so you can adapt during games if you need to. And that's what Antonio Conte is obviously foreseeing. And making sure that he's got, you know, his 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 eyes dotted and his his T's crossed prior to the start of the season. Trevor, another deal that got done yesterday, um, and when we record this on the 9th of July, five signings in already for Spurs. Mm. Fifty-four days left of the window is incredible. But another signing that got over the line yesterday was Clement Langley um, from Barcelona on a season-long loan. What do you make of this one? Because he's a left-sided centre half. Ben yeah. Davis had a a fantastic season last year. Yeah. Well, again, again, is it about rotation? Well, it's about quality, competition for places. You know, Ben Davis. Who's to say that Ben Davis is going to um, repeat what happened last season? I think if you have a really good season in the Premier League, the next question on the manager's mind is, can you do it again? Mm. And I think this is putting a bit of pressure on Ben Davis. I agree. I thought he was excellent both for Tottenham and for Wales. Um, but he's got a situation now where it's competition for places. I think it suits Barcelona because of their finances. They need to free up wages, and I'm sure Tottenham are going to cover the wages of that player. So it makes it, it it'll help them make moves uh, financially and, and with players' wages. And I think it was um, is it who's just gone through? Chris, Christiansen's just gone through there, so that might be their preferred choice. And that was probably the reaction from that Langley going on to Spurs. Maybe that they look at him as a long-term future at, at, at Barcelona, but for the time being, it suited them to get him off the wage bill. So I think everyone's happy with that deal. And I think regarding Spurs and for Antonio Conte, I just think it makes it very easy for him to have competition for places. And just in case you pick up injuries, you've got someone to slot in there who's naturally left-sided, which, you know, yeah. you look at the way the game is now and the game's played, perfect pitches, perfect ball, um, 
you know, surround uh, stadiums. There's not a lot of interruption a lot of the time regarding wind. So it's all about pattern and repeat. And uh, if you've got left left sided, left centre half out of a three, especially as you receive the ball, you're receiving it across the, across your body on your left side. You're comfortable. It opens the pitch up. It opens the options up. If you're playing a right footed, as he controls it, he's closing up half the one. Well, maybe a third of the pitch anyway. So it, it makes sense to to want competition for places, but left side and centre are so quite difficult to get. So I think that's a really big signing for Spurs. Trevor, another one that I'm very excited about, and this one is Eve Basuma, of course, uh, signing yeah, from Brighton yeah. for around £25 million. Absolute bargain. Yeah, £25 million. Um, on his day, he's left really good midfielders in his wake um, over his time at Brighton. I think they're... The fans will probably be disappointed at the fee and the fact that he's leaving. Uh, but I think this is something that, you know, when you look at you look at the midfield, um, Hoiberg is probably going to be under pressure, I, I would say, because of the legs that Basuma has. Um, so we'll have to up his game, his fitness, his reliability. But again, strength strength of um, depth in, in different positions. Uh, ben Tanker, again, as well, he'll be thinking, right, you know, but again, he might change the system. If them three players are playing really well, he might want to put them all in the team. So he might go back to a, a back four or he might slightly adapt the, the system. So that'll be interesting. Or he might even go to his favoured 3-4-3 three, three, rather than a than a, um, a five or um, a 4-3-3. Three, three. So it just gives him more options. And that can change from game to game, depending on what the strengths and what the weaknesses are of the opposition uh, each week coming up in the Premier League, which they will thoroughly do their due diligence and know with all the data and all the analysis that you've got at football clubs now, they'll look at games and think we need to play this shape against this team and, and vice versa. And, and listen, that's what top managers do. They're planning, planning ahead, looking after players, making sure players are getting the right amount of time, training, rest. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a very um, complicated job, but that's why Antonio has done so well consistently over his managerial career because he does it so well. Trevor, how was pre-season for you? Did you like it? Did you like the hard work and the fitness? And and how did you feel when another player came in? Um, you know, where, where you're thinking, well, they could actually take my position. Um, I, I enjoy, I mean, even to this day, I still run most days. Um, yeah. I've always, I, I made the cardinal sin of um, not being fit one pre-season at Blackpool. I promised myself I'd never do it again. And I never did. I always went back in good condition. Um I had a gym at home, everywhere I went around the world on holidays in the summer, I'd always make sure that I earmarked a gym close by or some good routes that I could go on runs. And um, you never really switch off as a player. You might have a week off where you don't do anything, especially if you've got a few aches and pains. But once that's out, it's back on the treadmill, back in the gym, back strengthening, conditioning. I had the privilege of playing with um, Paolo Di Canio and he, he yeah. kind of changed my perspective Um Sadly, it was a bit too, not too late, but it, it was, I would like it to have been around a player like him a lot earlier because when you talk about professionalism and um, make, get, making, giving yourself the best chance to be the best version of yourself, the penny dropped with Paolo with me and we became very good friends. We still speak now um, often and uh, he always posts me pictures of stuff that he's doing um, and, and workouts that he's doing. But yeah, no, I'm, I've always been fit. I always enjoy pre-season if someone come in uh, in my position, I'd, I'd be, you know, thinking, yep, yeah, competition, but unlucky because I had that mentality where I was always going to supersede someone in my position. And uh, I'd make sure that whether it be in training, whether it be in running drills, whether it be in one-on-ones, whatever it was, I would always make sure that, you know, winners find a way. And I, I, I tried to do that throughout my career. 
Trevor, um, as much as this window is exciting for us, I think some of us Spurs fans at the moment are getting very uh, carried away and excited. And some are even talking about challenging for the Premier League. Now, are we all dreaming? Are we all getting carried away by saying uh, that sort of stuff? And in your opinion, what do Tottenham need um, from now until the end of the window? Another 54 days left, I might add, um, to really challenge the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City. Or is the gap just so big? Um, I think the gap is big and you just have to look at the points tally. Um, but I think a lot of that is down to the lack of depth that Spurs had since um, since Antonio Conte came in. I think the results were excellent and you were right up there with the top teams regarding points and, 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 and all the rest of it. Once he got his team going yep. and understanding what he wanted from them. Um, I think you look at, is Dan Juma done? Because I know West Ham were looking to get involved in, in that transfer, but is, is Dan Juma over the line? I'm not sure. Right, because that's another one. I, I do feel he probably wants one more up top and uh, you've just let the boy go to to uh, Ajax, which I think is great for him because even though it, it weren't perfect for him at Tottenham, I think he was a trier and he, he had good bits of quality, uh, but it just didn't happen. And I think when you're against a player, well, two players in particular, like Son and Kane, I think your chances are going to be few and far between. So when you get them chances, you've got to take them. And I don't think he always did. So that's a good move for him. It frees up a bit of wages and it also frees up, what was it, 20, was it 30 million that he went for, 25 million to Ajax? Very good money. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think you'll bring another striker in. Um, who that will be, I'm not sure. Maybe it will be Dan Juma, but I know that West Ham are interested in that player. I think Fraser Forster is a good signing. I was sad to see him leave Celtic, uh, but it, again, it puts pressure on the Salsa, uh, on the Hugo Lloris. Um, I'm pleased that, selfish reasons, that um, Cameron Carter-Vick has gone to Celtic because I don't think he was ever going to get the opportunity. Uh, no. And he had a brilliant season at Celtic last season. So that, I think that's good business all around. Um, but I was surprised uh, to see the young midfielder go because I thought he had some good moments last season, played particularly well against West Ham in the Cup. Um, your centre midfielder, Oliver Skip. Um, he's gone to Crystal Palace, hasn't he? No, he's still here. Oh, right. I thought he'd gone to Crystal Palace. So, no, misinformation no, he, he, there they, for me. They've just given him the new squad, squad number number four today. Oh, right. Oh, perfect. Because I thought he did well. Because I thought, yeah. you know, off the back of last season, the certain games that I've seen him play, I thought, again, you know, he's won from the academy, he's come through the academy and he's done really well. I think he's improving all the time. And it, it's, it's almost like when you get a, a youth team player who comes into the 23s and then goes into the first team squad, you can't expect him to go from that kind of level right up there because it, it diet, strength and conditioning, positioning, every, so many different aspects to the game that he's got to take on board. So that's pleasing to know that they've stuck with stuck with him because far too often you see teams let players go that they've developed and given that pathway to and then not be patient enough to keep him on board and let him get to that next level. So I'm pleased that Spurs have done that because I was impressed with his performance against West Ham and, and other games that I watched him in. Trevor, what do, you, what do you expect to happen to the likes of Harry Winks and Joe Roden? Because, you know, take Joe Roden, for instance. He plays more for his country Wales than he does for Tottenham. Mm. Um, Jose Mourinho apparently said to Hugo Lloris, um, you know, look after him. He's going to be the best defender at Tottenham. But none of the managers really seem to fancy him playing for Tottenham. I think defensively, and especially when you've got a manager like um, Antonio Conte, they need reliability. And I think naturally, mm. as a young player, you're going to make mistakes because this is about learning. And 
And I just don't think the trust is there yet that he's at that level where you can trust him enough to play him consistently. So maybe a long move for him. I think with Harry Winks, it's completely different. He's played a lot of games for Spurs. He's played a lot of games internationally. Yeah. I just don't think he's probably got the quality now to get in a team, a Spurs team that are going for the top four. And that's not being cruel. That's just being factual. And you look at the players that they've got in them positions. You look at the players that they've brought in. And I think probably for Harry Winks, he's going to have to move if he wants to continue his development as a player. Because the only way you can do that is by playing matches. And, and and by showcasing what you've got. And if you're not getting on the pitch, you can't do that. So I would say with Harry Winks, it's probably not going to be alone. Um, but with the defender, I think if they do believe in him, uh, they need they, they believe he needs more experience to be able to trust him more. Maybe that might be a loan situation. What about um, Tongi on Dombele and Giovanni Lasosa? When you think the Spurs have played £100 million for both of these, yeah. um, Tongi on Dombele in particular, we all know as fans, pundits, whatever, we all know the quality that this guy has, but he just doesn't seem to deliver it week in, week out. And he went on loan to Leon. Um, they don't they don't want to buy him. There don't mm. seem to be any interest in him at the moment. Do you think Antonio Conte will give Tongi on Dombele another chance? Uh, if I'm being honest, no. Because I think as a player, you know, especially a midfield player within the shape that you play, um, I think you've got certain fundamentals that you've got to do well. And one of them, any midfield in, in world football, you've got to be a grafter out of possession. I think he lets himself down on that side of things um, consistently. You know, you will see him showcase that now and again, but you can't have it now and again as, as a Premier League elite player. You've got to do it week in, week out. I think it's, it's undeniable the talent that he's got on the ball um and and his creativity and what he can you know what he can create on the pitch but it's it's too inconsistent and again you talk about top managers top managers want consistently top players and uh i just don't think Ndombele is is, is proved that in his time at tottenham and um and probably that's the reason why he's he's not ended up staying at leon um because the and they don't want to sign him on a on a full contract because they've not seen that consistency either so for him, for Lacelso again, you know, I just think he lacks that intensity and that athleticism to be able to affect games enough. I think he's a neat player, um, quite similar in a lot of respects. Uh, maybe a little bit more offensive um, in in midfield um, than Harry Winks, but a similar kind of athletic profile where. If you've got great athletes around you, yeah, you can be useful and you can be that player that keeps the ball and keeps it moving around, but a little bit of holding. But when you talk about the 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 players that he's up against in competition with, I just don't think he's he's got the necessary quality to be able to compete, and and that's why I feel he'll probably need to move on if he wants to be playing regular football. Trevor Spurs um, go on pre-season or, or our pre-season tour to South Korea um, today. The team actually yep. fly out today. Um, the squad for pre-season hasn't been announced as yet uh, to us fans, but would you expect the likes of Tongyon Dombele and Giovanni Lasso to get on that plane? Is it a good thing for the players and the manager that they get on that plane? Or if Spurs are actively trying to sell these pair, uh, you know, these two in particular, or they want to leave, um, have you have you known a similar situation in your playing career where a player has wanted to leave, but then the manager is still taking them on tour and still taking them on pre-season and try to, you know, put them in the shop window, so, so to speak. The best way to get rid of players, isn't it? By um, coaching them properly, giving them opportunities in pre-season, putting them in the shop window, 
and, and hoping that they, they've got that hunger to want to try and prove to Antonio that they're good mm. enough, but also in, at the same time show, showcasing what they've got to potential uh, interested clubs. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd expect them to be in, unless they've, they've fallen out, I'd expect them to be on that tour. And uh, if they can, you know, do as they're told, as in regarding training and discipline and all the rest of it that goes with these these tours abroad pre-season, then I have no reason to think that they wouldn't go because they're still good players. And, uh, you know, unless they've fallen out, I, I can't see them not going. Now, we've got three young stars at the moment. Um, Dane Scarlett, Alfie Devine and, uh, of course, Troy Parrott spent uh, some time on loan MK Dons last season. What's the right um, What's the right thing for these three players? to, to for, for them to go out on loan, for them to be on the bench, for Antonio Conte to then give them you know, a little bit of game time here and there. What is best for their development? Chris, they're all individuals, different strokes for different brokes. We spoke about you know, how Foden was treated, how he, oh, get all, literally all the media, get him out on loan, he needs to play more football, he needs to develop yeah. this, that and the other. He stayed, trained with top players week in, week out. He's ended up the player he is. And then you look at Billy Gilmore. He, he had a, a decent little um, cameo role a few times, played against Liverpool, was excellent, played a few games and then went out and loan at Norwich and it went really wrong for me. Didn't have a successful time there. So you have to look at the individuals and look at the personalities and listen to them, see what they want and try and guide them in the right way. But I think I don't, I don't think you can just say players at 18, 19, 20, that are elite players for the future, if it, if they're not getting opportunities to play now, they should go out on loan or they should say, I think each individual, I mean, Harry went on loan. You know, I was, I was going to say, I was going to mention Harry Kane. Do you remember exactly. that? Yeah, of course. Harry Leicester and, and this, that and the other. I've seen top players go out on loan. I've seen other players not go, not go out on loan and still come to the same conclusion, end up top players in the Premier League. So I think yeah. you just have to manage the individual. You know the personalities, you know the parents, you know what the character they are. And you have to make that decision individually based on that. And again, I think there's got to be a little bit of conversation to the player. But I think as coaches and, and as guardians of these young players and, and, and of their guardians of their pathway, even though they at times may want to go out on loan because they want to be in front of crowds and do, doing this and that, it might be better for you to say, you know what, you're staying with us. I want you training. I want you using training the right way, playing against, playing against the players that we've got at our club and start dominating them in training. And when you do that, I'll start giving you opportunities in the first team rather than going out on loan, playing a different uh, style of football, playing for a different manager who's got a different philosophy how the game should be played because sometimes that can be confusing for young players. Trevor, who's the best ever striker in Premier League history? Is it Harry Kane? He's up there. Um, I think when you talk about, I think when you talk about all in all, all like out and out footballer, I would say Wayne Rooney. Because I think okay. the way that he he could play different positions, he could play off the left, play off the right, down the middle, he could play as a 10, he can probably even drop into midfield. For me, he's the the, the old, I seen him when he first came into the England squad and he was, he was just like, he was a freak. You know, he was, what was he, five foot eight, five foot nine, um, heavy boned, used to shrug grown 28 year old men off the ball, uh, had the desire, had the finishing. So I think when you talk about out and out player i would say it's it's it's, it's probably he's my favorite player but mm. i think when you talk about out and out striker i think you've, you've got to look at the numbers and it's certainly between harry kane and, and for me harry kane and um alan shearer because i think just the sheer amount of goals that they scored in the premier league 
and, and the trajectory that Harry Kane's on, who could potentially beat that. And Harry's shown a little array of, um, you know, being able to drop in at that number 10 position and his range Absolutely. of passing. Again, he's improving, he's, he's, he's adapting his game, um, you know, as he... It, not that he's slowed down yet, and he's never pace has never been his his main asset anyway. But as he's you know starting to have quicker players around him and them triggers, if he drops in, the inst- again it's good coaching. You know, as soon as he drops in, you be ready because if he gets the ball under control and gets half turned, he's looking to float the ball over the over the centre half, so over the full backs. I need you on your back. So Kulusevski's done it really well. Son naturally does it very well. We've seen that consistently over many many seasons at Tottenham. And these are the these are the these are the questions that are going to be asked to Rich Allison and any other player that comes into the team. You know, if Harry does drop in, I need you making an out to him run that yeah. right in that middle of the gap between the two centre halves or the three centre halves, and making sure that you get there first and giving Harry options. So, yeah, no, Harry's certainly adapting his game and improving his game in different ways. But the numbers stay similar. He's still scoring consistently. I think he was joint Golden Boot winner again. Uh, was it was it Son or was it Son it, him and it was Son it was Son and Salah yeah so um, yeah uh, he's definitely up there and he's definitely in the conversation but personally I think it's it's something that you can't put a number on it and a reason for it but it's just a feeling I just loved the way that Wayne Rooney had everything to his game Trevor let's talk a little bit about Hunmin Son because he wasn't named in the PFA Team of the Year it upset a lot of Spurs fans yeah um, upset me I've, I've I've said it for many years. And, you know, quite controversially, I think at times he's the most important player at Tottenham. You know, yeah. it, it, Harry's going to score the goals. That's his job. Um, but actually to, to to help the team tick and his, his um, fitness levels, his work rate, um, his consistency, he's chipping in with goals. Uh, a little bit like Mane at Liverpool. You know, I, I've always thought that Mane was probably a, the most important player at Liverpool. And he's gone now. So it'd be interesting to see how they adapt uh, and move forward with how, without him. But for um, Spurs, you know, I, I can't understand why he wasn't in that team of the year. And I know it's done, uh, it's democracy and the players vote and all the rest of it. But it's just what, maybe it's because he's so down to earth and humble and low key that it, it's it's what, it's an easy name to miss off the list. And well, um, well, I was, was going to ask you that, actually, as, a, as an ex-professional, um, what is the process there? Is, is it a case that every player gets a vote? in the whole of the 92 um, league clubs and then, and then they submit their vote for the player that they want to vote for. Is that how it works? It's been a minute, but yeah, I, I, I kind of vaguely remember because it's been like 15 years now, Chris. So I think it was one of them where you get a, you get a list, team of the year. You, so you pick out your, your, your positions and the players that you think has been the best player in that position and you hand that in. But I'm not sure whether it's just captains or captains and managers or there's other people involved. But from oh. what I can recollect, it's like, yeah, you get a you know, back in the day, 4 4 who's your top players in each position? And you'll have like, you know, debates with yourself about certain positions, but other players, other positions, you'll think, yeah, easily him. And uh, you make it. But I think the decisions from the players are made too early as well. It's it's like, mm. I think you get the, you, you make this vote in January, February, and there's still months to go in the season. Yeah. So it's quite unrealistic. I think that's possibly something they should look at to try and change. But whether all the players will hand it back in on time and all the rest, you know, footballers like um, regarding things like that. So, yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a tough one to take that because I thought he was excellent last season. And I, I think he's been consistently excellent for Spurs and probably one of your most improved, one of your most important players. Yeah, I agree. Um, Trevor, let's talk about England. Um, as you said earlier, you were called up to Venable's squad in 1995, yeah. but you weren't capped until 2001. You won 12 caps for your country something you must be extremely um, proud of and four at the World Cup 
uh, in 2002. Is that one of your shirts uh, in the background there? Um, that's my debut shirt against Sweden. I won a penalty and then give a free kick away on the edge of our box, which they scored for. So I was highly involved in the game. Typical me, all action, Jackson. But um, you just said there, 95, and I didn't make my debut to 2001. Six yeah. years of caps. Yeah. So on one side, I look at it and think, that could be, you know, 10 caps a year. If, if you're at that level at 23 years old, that's, you know, that's a lot of caps. Yeah. Um, so... I feel, but but then on the, on the flip side of that, I may never have got back to that standard. So, like I said to you at the top of the show, it's probably one of my biggest achievements being able to have a serious injury, which has ended people's career, work my way back to get in the first team at QPR uh, for a brief time, but we'd been relegated by then. So, then at West Ham, put, forced my way into that team and then get myself back up to a standard where you can't start getting recognition for England. That's probably my biggest achievement. But when I look at it from, you know, maybe a half glass empty point of view, you know, I could, I, I could quite easily have been, you know, 60, 70, 80 caps, which um, sometimes I, I look back and I think, what if, but at the end of the day, it's out of your control when you get an injury like that. It's how you react. And I feel I reacted in the right way. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm probably lucky to get 12 caps in in the end anyway. Well, Trevor, I, I actually had Matt Letizia on the uh, channel the other day and I asked him the question, how much would you be worth today? He said £150 million. <laughs> He's what? not shy, is he? <laughs> He's not. He's not. How much would you be worth? Um, well, it's, it's complicated, isn't it? Because you're looking at Raheem going for, what, £50 million plus possibly 10 on top of that because he's got a year left of his contract. I think if you've got a four or five-year deal and some club really wants you, I, I, I would say I'd, I'd, I'd be more than what Raheem's going for now. Um, but I won't go to the extent where I'm going to say I was 150 million. Listen, well, Jack, Matt, Jack Grealish went for 100 million. Would it would it be anywhere near that or over that? Possibly in and around that. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe a little bit less. Maybe maybe you're talking like your 70s, 80s. But I think you know, me at my pump. Um, like I said to you earlier, you know, I, I was playing games and you know I was having a really good time against supposedly the best defenders in the country and thinking, yeah. is this it? Kind of thing. So. Yeah, no, I think if I was playing right at the top of my game prior to my injuries, then, yeah, I'd be worth a few quid. Trevor, you were regarded as one of England's best players at the tournament of the World Cup 2002. How did it feel representing England at the World Cup? Just very proud. You know, a, a boyhood ambition achieved playing in the World Cup. Obviously, you want to play professional football first. That was achieved as soon as I left school. Then you want to get to the top division. That was achieved by the time I was 20. <clears throat> and then you want to play for your country. And I played 21s, won the Toulon tournament with Sol Campbell and um, Jamie and, you know, other Tottenham players. Uh, we, we had a really strong team out there in Toulon and then played B, uh, in, in the England B team um, with Matt and Les Ferdinand. We beat, I think we beat Russia 4-0 at QPR. Um, I remember that being a really good game. And then you're just looking for that next step. So, you know, playing uh, for England... That's why I've got that shirt up because that was an ambition achieved. But then you want to play yeah. in the top tournaments and you want to play in the finals. And uh, playing out in Japan and South Korea, it was just an unbelievable, um, unbelievable thing for me, you know, to, to, to achieve. Um, I'm from a working class background, council estate, you know, played on all the junior teams, worked all about working hard, trying to showcase what I've got. And then to get to, you know, the finals of a World Cup and, and, and beat one of the biggest rivals that England have got in Argentina, 1-0, with the, the names that were on the pitch, and be part of that. Yeah, very proud. 
Trevor, um, of course, the World Cup um, is later on in the year, uh, midway through the Premier League season. How weird is this going to be, um, the fact that the World Cup is going to be played in November and December? It is going to be weird, but we'll do what we... Listen, we've just been through a pandemic and carried on and adapted as, a, as, a, as, a, um, as an industry. We'll adapt to this World Cup. You know, it will feel weird, um, especially with it being in a, in a country where, you know, they've got different... It's a different culture to us. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they host it. Um, but they don't often get it wrong, uh, these these countries that get awarded, um, said loosely, um, the World Cup. And I hope that Qatar can pull it off. Um, I've got a lot, of, a lot of reservations regarding this World Cup, but I just hope it goes smoothly and I hope it's a real showcase of um, football at its best. Because I think looking at the Premier League, it's flying, you know. We were attracting a lot of top players. It's a, it's a great it's a great watch. It's a great spectacle, and um, I just hope that you know the World Cup can go smoothly and, and and England can do really well. Do you think there's any chance that Eric Dyer could be in the England squad uh, for the World Cup because he had a great season last year? He did, um, and we've seen that he, he, you know he, he's performed well for Gareth before um, in a different position. Um, Listen, it's not out of out of the question, or I wouldn't be overly surprised, especially if there's a couple of injuries. To you know, we're not we're not blessed massively in that area like we have been in before. You know, in my area, we had Sol Campbell and and Rio Ferdinand in there, and like we had a depth of uh, quality behind that in central defensive roles. I think you're looking at players that have come in and done done okay. Uh, the boy at um, Palace came in and did okay. Um, Tyrone's obviously played quite a lot of games. Harry Maguire had a very disappointing, underwhelming season for me, yeah. for the standards that he set himself, uh, the 2021 season and, and the Euros that he had. Um, so I don't think it's out of the question, but I would be surprised. I think there'd have to be injuries and there'd have to be a real lack of form from certain players who are ahead of him at the moment. But no, I wouldn't I wouldn't be totally surprised if he played, started the season well. Spurs as well started the season well and he got himself in a position where he, he was considered for... Um, a part of the squad because the squad's gone up to 26 now and if you want experience because we've got a lot of young players if you want a bit of experience I think that is um, a good guy to have around the team Trevor as a as a fan of both Spurs and England I feel like it's uh, it's very similar supporting both of them um, because you know the trophies are way way overdue and I, and I thought when I went to Wembley Stadium last year I thought I'm, I'm going to finally see England win a trophy do you think that England can win the World Cup at the end of the year what do you think our chances are of course I do um, and I thought they could have won the Euros and they, they got very close to doing that. Um, and I have big debates on, on, on talk sport with Simon Jordan and he doesn't he doesn't rate Gareth enough to be able to get England over the line in, in, in that aspect. But I, I, I say players should take responsibility. At, the, at that time when we played against Italy and we were being outnumbered, there's nothing stopping one of the players or a couple of the players having a chat when the ball goes out of play and just say, listen, you need to start sitting in because we're getting outnumbered in the middle of the park. So it's all yeah. right putting all this onus on the manager, on Gareth, but players can adapt and they can work things out themselves. And um, they, we didn't do it and we ended up getting uh, beaten on penalties. Um, but that loss and that experience, the players that are involved in the World Cup that were involved in that, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll deal with it better. Hopefully the manager will deal with it better. But you look at the quality throughout the side, and it's, 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 it is undeniable. We have got a really strong team and we have got a real chance of um, 
you know, getting that first um, major championship for, well, since 66. Can I just ask you, Trevor, back, back in your career, of course, you played under Svengor and Ericsson for England. Um, how did um, how did you find working under a foreign manager for England? Because, you know, go, going back, um, you know, there was that big thing at the time where people, you know, a lot of pundits, a lot of ex-players, a lot of ex-England players come out and said, no, the, the England manager should always be English. How did you find that? I think it's, listen, everyone's got the right to their own opinion. I think that's narrow-minded. I think you just get the best man for the job. Um, we've just seen um, the, the England women's team. They've just hired a, a foreign coach. Yeah. You see it yeah. all around the all around the world. Um, and I'm not in that camp that says you should have an England manager managing England. I love Bobby Robson. I think he did a great job for England. Um, but that's that's just part of it. That's just where he's from. I think it's all about getting the right man with the right standards um, who can negotiate and navigate being an international manager, it's very difficult. You don't get the players for a long time. You don't get a chance to work on a lot of work, like as in shape and formation. You've got to do a lot of hours travelling here, there and everywhere, watching games, and you need the right character that will take that with both both hands and enjoy it and, and make the best of it. And I think I was doing a great job. I think he he, he was reluctant to take the job uh, from mm. the 21s with what happened with um, Sam. And um, he's gone in there and I think he's he, he's done exceptionally well. And you look at the record that we've got, semi-final of the World Cup, final of, of the Euros. Can we can we go that one step further and hopefully win the final of the of the World Cup? I, I'm one of them. I'm in the camp that I hope they do because I think it'd be magnificent for, for Gareth and the squad and uh, it'd be magnificent for, for Premier League and, and English England football, English football as a whole. Trevor, we're going to finish up with a couple of uh, quick fire questions here. Um, here biggest influence on your career? My mum. Son or Kane on the Tottenham free kicks or someone else? Kane. Really? Yeah, I like Kane. I think he's uh, definitely, uh, obviously penalties, he's, he's different class, but I, I just think he, at the right time, he can step up. He's, he's got that, you know, that eye of the tiger where come off the hour, come off the man. Okay. Um, Favourite player, player whilst growing up? Between Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes. Um, best player you played alongside? Paolo Di Canio. Okay. Um, the easiest place, uh, sorry, the easiest player uh, that you played against um, that you always beat. Oh God! Um, you, you actually, you mentioned that earlier. Ars just, just say any Arsenal player that will go down very well on this channel. <laughs> Nigel Walterburn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'll, he'll absolutely slaughter me for that. Yeah. Um, are you a fan of social media, and is it good for footballers now? Um, in my job, I'm a fan of it because I think it's important um, to, to let people know what you're doing and, and, and what's going on in, with, with media and your opinions at times. Um, for players, I think it, it can be good, um, but it also can be a nuisance. And I'm sure most managers would prefer their players not be involved in it. Yeah. Um, how can VAR be improved, in your opinion? Um, I think with the way the ball deflates and, and uh, when you're kicking it, I think that should be improved because there's milliseconds between when the ball's first touched when it deflates and then when it goes back to its original size and leaves the foot I think that should be something that they should look at and then I think it should be as simple as this your foot because it's much easier to um, pick out a foot than a shoulder or this or that uh, I think if you're talking about feet you're talking about the end of the boot 
and then it, it it would slightly give an advantage at times to the offensive player as well. And we want to see goals in the game. So I think it should be the feet, forget everything else and make it just simplify it a little bit. Do you think they will ever get an ex-professional footballer in the room to, to be part of that decision making as well? Potentially. Yeah, I think that it's been looked at. And I'm not sure whether it's already happening, but I think that's something that maybe they should look at the, the PGA MOL to um, try and improve um, the relationship um, between and, and not just the players and, and the, the referees, but also uh, the fans feel like they've got someone in there who who's played the game. Um, so it will give it a little bit more gravitas. Trevor, your highest and lowest uh, points of your career? Highest, but probably um, my first cap um, playing for England uh, against Sweden. Lowest, or playing at the World Cup, lowest would probably be um, my injury and, and retiring through injury, not through still loving the game. Your funniest teammate? John Monker. What, what happened? First day of training, turn up, um, jogging round at Chadwell Heath, and then just sense somebody. It was raining. Sense somebody just jogged up like to the side of me from a from a different angle because we're all running there. And I've just sensed someone, seen him out. Didn't come really, didn't look, but just sensed someone. And I looked, and he had a weightlifting belt on, socks and boots, and it was peeing it down. And there was a few fans there, and he weren't bothered. He was completely naked, jogging next to me, saying, "All right, Trev." Absolute wild, wild man. Great guy. Uh, but yeah, funny, funny boy. That must have been before social media. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what ground did you uh, did you like going to and, and what ground did you hate going to? I used to like going to White Hart Lane. Um, I didn't you like didn't need going... to rub that in again. Sorry. I didn't like going <laughs> to Anfield. Anfield. It was always, um, they always had a really competitive team. I don't think I did too well against Liverpool teams at Anfield. Scored a couple of goals against Liverpool at my home ground where I was playing my trade. QPR, I remember scoring one on Sky Sports, diving header against David James, David Barsley-Cross. Um, also remember scoring a couple of goals against Liverpool um, at Upton Park, but never enjoyed playing against Liverpool at Anfield. Trevor, last question for you. Um, will Antonio Conte be successful at Tottenham? And what will Tottenham win next season? I think... That waiting time, that 15 years wait might be over. I don't think you'll win the league, but I think you will uh, be in the top four again and possibly uh, be better than Chelsea and get the third spot. Um, but I think there's going to be a cup coming to the new stadium. And um, because you look at the manager, you look at the quality that they've brought in. And I think um, Eva Cup, I think the fans will be happy with Eva Cup, but obviously they prefer the FA Cup. He is a league manager though, Trevor, isn't he? Conte loves to win a league title. Of course he does. And we've seen him do it consistently, whatever football club he's been at. So I wouldn't say they're out of it, but I just think that the strengthening that both Liverpool and Manchester City have done is going to probably keep you at bay at least for next season. But still, we've got 50 odd days to go. If you make a couple more signings, that, that opinion could change. Yeah, fantastic. Trevor, you've been an absolutely fantastic guest. I can't thank you enough for all of My your pleasure, time. Chris. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, hopefully... Uh, Tottenham can lift from silverware under Antonio Conte. Um, lastly, tell everyone where they can find you on social media and uh, what you're up to in the near future. Yeah, so I've got an academy, uh, Pro Direct Academy. It's based in Livam. Um, it's for lads that get released at 16 from academies or it's uh, lads that get released first year pro or even uh, when they've done the scholarship. 
and also good grassroots lads. It's an education program, so there's a little bit of education involved, which is important because obviously not everyone makes a footballer. Um, I only do Twitter. It's uh, Twitter at Trevor Eight Sinclair, and I'm doing commentary for Talksport next season. Uh, commentary, so I'll, I'll be at a stadium near you. Uh, I've been to the uh, the new stadium and I've already rated it the best in the world. Um, but I usually do up north uh, and the northwest. Um, but I do get down south now and again. And uh, I also do shows midweek with Talk Sport. So I do a, a Wednesday show, which is going to change to a Tuesday uh, with Simon and John and Jim White. And then at the weekends, I do a, a Friday breakfast with uh, Ray Parler and Alan Brazil. So that's my life. I'm busy. Uh, I've got family, some lads in sports. And um, yeah, that's what I'm up to. I love how positive you've been on this show, Trevor, about Tottenham, because uh, a few people did mess with me saying, He's always slagging Tottenham off. He's always slagging Tottenham off. We want to hear him saying that the trophies are coming. So I'm so glad how positive you've been about Spurs today. Yeah, to be fair, Peter Rabin, I mentioned him earlier. He has given me a little bit of grief. But I've, you know what? I have to be true to myself. And it's you've, you've won nothing and you've not looked like winning anything for a while, you know, since Poch left. So I think apart from the uh, the cup final, which you sacked your manager the, the, the week before, which was... I don't think anyone could get the red round that, but you know, I'm sure Daniel Levy can, and the people in charge have got the their own reasons for that. Um, but I, yeah, I know, I, mean, I know, I've, I know, I've normally, well, nearly signed off uh, this podcast. But can I just ask you very quickly then the the decision to sack Pochettino at the time and Jose Mourinho at the time was it wrong for you both of those? I think you've got to be in the room. You've got to be in the discussions that went prior to that, and you've got to understand um, what went on to have a, a, a give a proper opinion on that um, but mm. from the outside it just looked stupid it just looked bonkers um, so something seriously wrong must have gone wrong between Jose Mourinho the players and and uh, Daniel Levy um, for that to happen and um, it was an opportunity um, for the young boy that went in there obviously he, he, he didn't win that uh, cup but um, I'm sure Ryan will you know appreciate the opportunity to, to, to take the yeah. hot seat for that game and for a brief spell prior to um Going back, I think he's the 23s or he's in the coaching staff. Um, but yeah, it just it just looked bonkers from the outside to do it then. Why not wait a week? But I don't know, maybe there was finances involved. Maybe there was big disagreements and something that couldn't have been resolved. So yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a shame really because I think it took away from the Tottenham uh, performance and, and, and opportunity that they put themselves into. Well, Trevor, thanks so much, as I say, uh, for being a fantastic guest today. And uh, I'd love to have you back on when Tottenham win a trophy. So hopefully that won't be too long. Good luck, Chris. Good luck, mate. Thanks for having me thanks, on. I appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for Good watching, day. everybody, and thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the next one. Until then, come on, you Spurs.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.